Great, thanks, Solly. It's lovely to be back and to have the privilege and the pleasure of uh, talking to you out of Ruth chapter 3. So we're going to crack on straight away with this beautiful story of Ruth. And um, I just love uh, what a wonderful hymn to come in to talk to you uh, from. And that last, was it the last verse, with shouts of acclamation, you know, Christ shall come and take me home. And that's actually what Ruth chapter 3 is all about. It's all about a homecoming. It's about finding a home, finding rest. So it's a beautiful intro for me. So let's pray. And when you're ready with your Ruth chapter 3 in front of you, we'll go straight into it. Okay, Lord Jesus, it's always, always all about you. Because when we see you, we will be overwhelmed by your beauty. There will be no response other than complete adoration. And we thank you that you take us through the stages of worship, from praise to worship to adoration to intoxication. So I pray now, Father, you just come and intoxicate your people. (laughs) Be careful how you use that prayer. (laughs) Come and intoxicate us with your love. Overwhelm us by your Holy Spirit and show us fresh insights into your enduring word that is the rock under our feet and the light to our path and the comfort to our souls. Come Holy Spirit and feed your people this morning. We ask that in the name of your beautiful Son, the Lord Jesus. Amen. Okay, I'm going to go straight into Ruth chapter 3, so here we go together. I'm reading from the ESV this time, quite deliberately, because I'm going to pick out that word, rest. Okay, so chapter 3, verse 1, Ruth and Boaz at the threshing floor. This is, this is the crunch chapter. This is the fun chapter that I get to talk on. Here we go. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he's winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, 
Let him do, do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? And then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today." The end of chapter 2 has left us all wondering. If you notice how chapter 2 ends, it ends like this. And Ruth lived with her mother-in-law. And Ruth is now settled in her mother-in-law's house in Bethlehem. But Naomi is now beginning to wonder if Boaz will take the initiative with Ruth because he's done so much to help both of them practically in chapter 2. But then you think, what's the time gap between chapter 2 and chapter 3? Is it, is it a few weeks? Is it a few months? You know, Boaz doesn't seem to be doing much between chapter 2 and chapter 3. And uh, perhaps he's being sensitive towards Ruth. She's a widow. She's possibly still been grieving. He doesn't know that. She might be becoming emotionally stronger. Maybe he's not sure whether she's ready to contemplate remarriage. But one thing's for sure is that Boaz isn't making a move on Ruth. So, all of you married gentlemen, I'm going to talk about your mother-in-laws now. <laughs> so every mother-in-law, you stay behind your mask and, and smile a sweet little smile of knowing here because it's mother-in-law taking it upon, upon herself to overcome Boaz's inertia. So, well done you mother-in-laws, you know how to plan and very often your plans will succeed. So chapter 3 is the turning point of the whole story. The famine's over for Naomi because Boaz has been so kind. And uh, Ruth's widowhood is now going to come to an end because events in chapter 3 are going to seal her future destiny. This is such an exciting book. And as I was reading again, I get drawn straight away into this beautiful little story. And the weird thing is, and all the commentators agree that, agree that actually as you're reading chapter 3, it seems like the main characters are kind of working autonomously. It's like chapter 3 doesn't contain the confident statements about God that you see in chapter 2. It seems like God's providence is all over chapter 2, but that there are a few references to God in chapter 3. It's kind of what one commentator says, that God seems like he's looking the other way while the actors act completely on their own. And that's why the title of this talk is called Bravery, Our Intentions. Because actually sometimes it feels like we've got to act on our own, that we kind of take it on trust that God's with us, that actually things seem to be hanging in the air for us between chapter 2 and chapter 3 of our lives. And, I say, and I'm saying, Lord, I want you to step onto the main stage of my life, but he's kind of hanging back. And chapter 3 is a hanging back from God. He's there. I wonder what your life is like at the moment. Does is, is it seem like you're saying, I kind of seem I'm the main character in my own story, Lord. I wish you were kind of a bit more up close and personal to me. But you are thinking in the wrong way if you think like that. Because actually God loves you to use your bravery and faith 
and courage and risk in certain situations because he's right at your shoulder. He's not far off. He's going to move the sterility of Naomi's life into great blessing through the fertility in Ruth's life. You know the end of the story. Ruth will have, by the end of the story, have a place of settled security. And that's our story. When Christ, with shouts of acclamation, shall come and take us home, we have a future settled security. We're not in Boaz's home, we're in Jesus' home. And the key events of chapter 3 are going to take place between sunset and sunrise. And I wonder if some of you are in the night at the moment. You're between sunset and sunrise. And you're thinking, dear Lord, I seem to be making all my moves in the dark. Well, hey, chapter 3 is all for you. He's with you in the dark. He's acting between sunset and sunrise. He's so faithful. Maybe some of you need to hear that. And the amazing thing is that he works so quickly. It might feel like a long time for you, sunset to sunrise, but actually chapter three, events move really quickly. Maybe some of you need to understand that afresh, that when God moves, it feels like a suddenly. There's going to be a suddenly for you. Although the night seems to drag, for Ruth, it was so fast, her destiny changing. And so it is for you and me. Now, Naomi, mother-in-law, is feeling this responsibility. She's saying, should I not find a rest for you? And that beautiful word rest is also the word home. That's why I chose the ESV today, because that word in Hebrew is manoe. And that's so rich and redolent of all that we are longing for. You know, I wonder if you came, you, know, you just said perhaps to your partner, to your to your friend, to your, to your wife, your husband, uh, you said, oh, I just want to go home. Maybe there's a, lot, a, sick, a homesickness in your heart. Maybe some of you are feeling, you know, I could, just, I could just feel that my life's over now. I just want to go home. Maybe some of you are feeling very insecure and saying, you know, home is my place of security. Well, actually, that's the deepest wiring of your heart. I don't know if you've read uh, C.S. Lewis's beautiful essay called The Weight of Glory. And in it, he describes this homesickness of the soul. And uh, there's a beautiful German word, Sehnsucht, which means holy longing. And C.S. Lewis talks about this Sehnsucht, where he's saying, somehow we're on the wrong side of the door, that we know that there's this far-off country that we know we're going to, but we're not quite there yet. And we recognize this far-off country by the scent of a beautiful flower. And it, and it just has an echo of something beyond us that we are longing for, a tune that stirs our hearts. And we think, oh God, that's so beautiful. And why is it drawing me in its beauty? Because it's drawing you home. I want to go home. And Ruth's going to find her home in chapter 3. And this chapter begins, and notice how it ends with the word rest. And what's the implication here? Well, here's the first point. It's this, that rest is God's blessing for us. Rest is such a powerful word. It's this word shalom. It's well-being. Because you've got to find rest. You do not have infinite capacity. Sooner or later, you're going to feel depleted. Without taking rest, you cannot continue the way you are. And rest is a far deeper word than just sleeping a good night's sleep. Rest is the end of the journey. Rest is the fulfillment of a promise. Rest is when something has been completed and you celebrate. The promise of rest is something that 
comes to you to keep you going through tough times. You're yearning for rest, aren't you? Why do we see Jesus in the Old Testament? He says this, Come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Manoe, I will give you a home. Where is your home? Your home is in the heart of Jesus. You won't find rest anywhere else. And rest is that central theme in Ruth, and it's here in chapter 3. Naomi has sought rest for Ruth. And interestingly, Boaz is restless at the end of chapter 3 until he settled the matter. Boaz's restlessness will secure Ruth's rest. You still with me? Jesus' restlessness, until he has finished his mission, ensures our rest. I just printed out some different translations of Luke 12.50, where Jesus says this, good news translation. He says this, I have a baptism to receive, and how distressed I am until it is over. He's talking about going to the cross. Philip's translation, it is a fire that I've come to bring upon the earth. How I wish it were already ablaze. There is a baptism that I must undergo and how strained I am until it is over. A couple more, the Living Bible. There is a terrible baptism ahead for me, says Jesus. And how I am pent up until it is accomplished. You've got a kinsman redeemer talking here, just like Boaz, who's restless until he redeems Ruth. This is the heart of the Lord Jesus to you. The message, I have come to start a fire upon this earth. How I wish it were blazing right now. I've come to change everything, turn everything right side up. How I long for it to be finished. Jesus is restless until his mission is completed so that you and I might rest in his beautiful finished work. Are you at rest? Have you found the shalom in the rest that Jesus offers you today? And interestingly, Naomi's not at rest yet. She's a wonderful woman because she's now beginning to change in chapter 3. There's not a word said here about Naomi's future. It's all about Ruth. Her, the mother-in-law, might, you might think she's a scheming mother-in-law, but she's a loving mother-in-law. She's saying, I'm going to get my daughter settled. She's got She's got heart only for her daughter-in-law. She's going to have to live with her own anxieties a little longer. And so she gives Ruth detailed instructions. And this is the, such an exciting story. Isn't it? It's a little bit risky, a little bit edgy, this story. She says to Ruth, take advantage of the situation now. All these instructions are designed now to make Ruth as attractive to Boaz as possible. So come on, take a bath, my dear daughter. Apply perfume. There's a very funny line in um, Charlie Cleverley's commentary on the Song of Songs where he quotes Coco Chanel. Uh, Ladies, this one's for you. Take it how you will. But Coco Chanel said, a woman who doesn't wear perfume has no future. (laughs) I love that quote. I I didn't say it. (laughs) So there's a deliberate preparation for intimacy and marriage. And this, isn't, this is not a brazenly seductive approach. That would have disturbed Boaz. Boaz is a noble man. He would have seen through some crass, inappropriate move. He's too noble a guy for that sort of a move to be made on him. So, so Naam is now saying, no, we'll do this thing very carefully because I'm going to help you to understand that the timing 
of your mourning, of your widowhood, is ending. And here's my point too, after rest, is that normal life now beckons. And I want to say it to the church. Normal life is beckoning you. But we want it to be super normal now. We want it to be supernatural. We want it to be, a, you know, the normal, which means this is us in the heavenly spheres now. When we come back together as a church, we're going to go up a gear. And God is setting up circumstances in your lives individually to give you hope that normality is coming again to your life. Some of you have lived a very abnormal life this last 12 to 15 months, but normality is coming. Do you believe that? But it's a new normality. We bandy that term around, don't we? We hear it in the press. Oh, for normality. Well, Ruth is now going to come into her beautiful new normal, and so are we. And God is going to anoint us for mission and service in a more powerful way than when before COVID started. Do you believe that? I believe that with all my heart. And under... <laughs> Let's go back to what Ruth does. She goes to the threshing floor and she waits till he's finished eating and drinking and then he's going to be relaxed. And so then she's instructed by Naomi to uncover his feet and lie beside him. This is provocative. She's bathed, she's perfumed, she's put on fresh clothes, she's gone into the dark of night. There's a man sleeping there and she uncovers his feet. And now under normal circumstances, this dodginess is, you know, you think, what's going on in this story? But there is no suggestion in Naomi's tone that this should be interpreted sexually. She would not have encouraged her daughter to commit any immoral act. No, she is expressing confidence in the kinsman redeemer's reaction. She's putting her trust out on the line that this new normality will come for her daughter. She is, now, isn't this interesting about Naomi? Because she's beginning to sense a new normality. She's now in chapter 3, not the bitter, despairing woman of chapter 1. She's now beginning to believe again in the providence of God. Is God inching you back into faith? He's, it, is, do you feel a, a hand in your back? Just gently pushing you back into trust, into faith, into risk, into coming out of your shell? The amazing thing is that Naomi is letting Boaz have the last say in Ruth's fate. So in other words, she, she's learning to trust again that the outcome doesn't lie with her. She's hoping for a good reaction. Boaz could say, what are you doing at my feet? Get out of here. But he doesn't. My point three is this, and this is the title of our preach, Bravery, Our Intentions. Be courageous. Have brave intentions this is what the story of Ruth is teaching us. So in chapter one, Naomi is bitter. She's despairing and angry with God. Maybe some of you are walking exactly Naomi's path. In chapter two, she's got no plan. You'll notice in chapter two, it's Ruth who says, mother, let me go out into the fields and glean. Let me, let me go, let me go. Don't worry, I'll go. Naomi is pretty busted still. She has no plan, but now in chapter 3 she's got a plan because somehow she's beginning to believe again in the hidden providence of God. She realizes she's got an opportunity to help Ruth and she's kind of taking a calculated risk. And it's time for us to start taking calculated risks again. But we're taking calculated risks which always will have a moral outcome. Amen? 
We're not taking stupid risks. We're not taking reckless things that we haven't thought through. We're now going to start moving in the realm of faith and holiness and help from the Holy Spirit. Now, the potential for disaster is huge, as I've already said. This is delicate, to say the least. This is a huge gamble. And it takes such courage for us to take a gamble, doesn't it? When was the last time you gambled with your faith? When did you take a real risk? A real risk. I'll never forget John Wimber saying that faith is spelt R-I-S-K. Because all these gestures, you know, perfume, bathe, be sensuous, uncover his feet. You, know, you think, man, this, she could be so seen as an immoral woman. And the plan all depends on Boaz's interpretation of events. A woman proposing to a man? A younger person proposing to an older person? An alien Moabites proposing to an Israeli man? There is so much faith at work here. There is so much courage in chapter 3. And this is given to us as an example. She's there in the Matthew genealogy for us in the New Testament. We must learn from this mighty woman Ruth. Let me ask you a question. When we talk about taking courage, are you beginning to move forward again? Only you will know the state of your own heart. Are you beginning to trust God again? Because it will involve courage and bravery. My next point is this, that God rewards the very thing I just said. He rewards faith. Whenever he sees faith, he rewards it. So as Ruth seizes the initiative, isn't she a wonderful woman? She says to her mother-in-law, I'll do exactly what you say. That's faith. I will do exactly what you say, Lord Jesus. She's, she's an uninvited visitor on Boaz's patch. Maybe you feel like I, the area of faith you're making me step into feels like an uninvited patch. I come up, this is where angels fear to tread, God. You want me there? I'm a woman, says Ruth. He's a man. I'm a foreigner. He's an Israelite. And yet out of the blue, without any lacking in confidence, Ruth effectively says to Boaz, marry me. <laughs> what a gal. What a gal. She says this, a beautiful phrase, spread the corner of your garment over me. There's no mistaking that idiom in Israel. It is like spread your wings over me. Boaz uses that very term in chapter 2. You've come to, to Israel, to Bethlehem, that the God of Israel will spread his wings over you. Ruth is requesting that Boaz take her under his wing and assume responsibility for her security. Now, incredibly, Boaz does not interpret this as an immoral act, but as a proposition of marriage. And I stand back in awe at this point, because this looked like a hopeless gamble, and yet it worked. He blesses her. He's been woken up in the middle of the night in a compromising situation and he knows exactly what Ruth means by this when she says, spread your garment over me. And he commends her for it. And we realise again that God is at work in the scenes of our everyday actions. Well, sorry, this is hardly an everyday action. But in the substance of your life, in all your risks and all the actions that you take when you've prayed and you've made your move, God is at your shoulder to help you. I haven't got time to 
talk about how Boaz sees a woman equal in status and character to himself. There's a whole man-woman equality going on here, which we haven't got time to unpack. I'd love to. It's very current. He sees the hesed in Ruth doing this for her mother-in-law, and Boaz is a man of hesed, kindness, and those two kindnesses meet in a man and a woman of equal stature. She's his match. She's amazing. And then, like every good story, there's a twist in the plot in chapter 3. And I want you to think about your own story again. Maybe some of you have been trundling along quite well and you sense that June is here now and the flowers are out and somehow lockdown's easing. Well, we, <laughs> we hope it is. And everything in the garden is lovely, metaphorically and literally. And that, then there's a little twist in the story for you. So you've had some bad news just recently. You think, man, who needs bad news in June? And Boaz suddenly realises, actually, do you know, I've suddenly realised there's another kinsman redeemer who is closer in family ties to Naomi than I am. Oh, this might not work out. That's a word for some people here. You've had a little twist in the plot of your story and you've gone into despair again. God is speaking to you now to say, don't you listen to that twist in your plot. It's not where I am. I'll bring you through it all. I work through human agency and I always reward faith. So it's time to step up and believe me and don't believe your circumstances. So it's time for you and me. This point that I'm making is this, that when you see an opportunity and you've prayed it through and when it presents itself, you've got to have the courage to seize it. There's a proper place for planning. There's a proper place for risk-taking especially when it's, it's, particularly when it's morally that you're doing right. But when those opportunities occur, there's time for action to match your plans. That's what the book of Ruth's all about. Isn't it exciting? Out on the edge again, dear ship of kings, out into deeper waters, men and women, boys and girls, you risk putting your plans into effect. Boaz's reaction to such feminine forwardness, as the commentators call it, is not anger, it's not embarrassment, it's not awkwardness, it, or it's, not, it's nothing like that. It's total understanding and acceptance of where she's at. And that's so often what you will meet when you go out in faith. That it won't be anger, embarrassment and awkwardness, it will be an amazing receptivity to the gospel. Let me go to my next point. Okay, that... Notice what Naomi says to Ruth at the very end of the chapter. She says, wait until he settles the matter. So this is a very important little minor point, at, well, hardly minor, but at the very end of chapter three, there comes a time when Ruth has made her proposition of marriage to Boaz. Boaz is thrilled with her. He sees what a noble woman she is. He sees that she, she's doing this not for herself, but for her mother-in-law. And then now this thing is hanging in the air again because Naomi leaves the outcome in Boaz's hands at the end of chapter 3. She says, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. And there comes a time in each of our lives when we've made our move in God, in faith, in risk, and now we have to wait. Why do we have to wait? We have to wait because of the sovereignty of God in all our doings. He has the last word in everything. 
And we rest in that. And there's only so far we can go and then we wait. So some of you are at a waiting stage. You've made your move. You've gone out on a limb. And now you wait and you rest. Because he, God works through Naomi's acts. God works through Naomi's ingenuity. He's going to work through your ingenuity. He works through human agency. He's amazing. How does he do it? You know, if I were God, you know, you know, Bruce Almighty, you know, <laughs> I'm going to do it. Get out of my way, you slow human beings. I need to speed this thing up. No, no, no. Behind Boaz's declaration of, in verse 13 to provide for Ruth and Naomi is God himself. God himself is behind your words. This is my final point. Chapter 3 teaches us a huge lesson. Remember the title of this talk is Bravery, Our Intentions. The Lord blesses those who seek him. God rewards human deeds. We've got to go back to that profound truth. He rewards seekers. Whether they seek him resolutely like Ruth did, your God shall be my God. Where you go, I will go. Where you die, I will die. May the Lord deal with me ever so severely. Ruth is resolutely seeking the God of Israel. You may be seeking him like that at the moment. Or you might be seeking him slightly more uncertainly, like Boaz, who's kind of not making a move on Ruth. He's not sure whether to make a move. So maybe you're seeking God, but you're not quite sure whether to make a move on something. Ruth, will she... You know, is this right? I, you know, I really like her. I notice her in the barley fields. Or maybe you're like Naomi who's thinking, man, I'm not even like Ruth or, uh, or like Boaz. Actually, I hardly had the energy or the desire to seek God at all. Maybe you're still a bit like that. But actually, whatever your seeking strength is, we need to remember that the story of Ruth is saying this. To, a, to our great surprise that when we try to go back to seeking God, we find that actually he has already been seeking us. He's so swift to come to your side. So swift to bless. As soon as you turn to him, he's there. The Redeemer will find you. This is challenging. And we are going to respond in the right way and open our hearts to what lies ahead in 2021. Let's pray. I thank you, Lord, that you call me to your rest. You tell me that you are the true normality. And when life has become abnormal, settle my heart again, Lord. Teach me to start trusting you again. Teach me to be courageous again. Remind me that you reward every little step of faith that I take in your name. Remind me to start making some moves again, Lord. Remind me, Lord, that you reward every move that I make with these faith intentions.
I feel the Father would say this. Come on, come back into my rest. Come on, you know where your true home is. Why are you being acting like a stranger to me? Why have you made your home your castle? Why have you pulled up the drawbridge, let down the portcullis? What are you doing? You're not going to be happy in your self-imposed prison. Come on. Come on. Come out. Come out. Come out into the presence of my love. Come on. What is there to fear? What is there to fear? My arms are strong to save. And feel my arms around you again this morning, my dear child. Just receive a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit in your life. We love you, Lord. You fill our gaze. You overwhelm us with your goodness. You teach us through beautiful, ordinary human beings. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You are wonderful and we love you. Amen.